for this new episode of Running with Red S, I spoke with Pippa Wolven and Rowan Priest. It was honestly a great call, and I first got in contact with Pippa, I would say in December, when I thought I was really struggling with something, and I saw on her Instagram that she was she worked with people who had eating disorders, and she went through what Red S was, and we came up, well, we finalised that I actually was suffering with this for the last few years, which was very interesting, and she's helped me ever since for the last few months, and it has been inspirational just to see how she made a comeback after suffering with Red S herself, just gave me that incentive to work hard in this next block. Rowan also got in contact with me after I published on Instagram that I was suffering with Red S, and he was the first male athlete really to come out about it in 2018. And during this conversation, we just talk about our different experiences, how we handle it, how we what we're looking into the future. And it was just really, really good. A really good chat with really nice people. And I think we're hoping to work alongside each other and try and raise more awareness and get some more youngsters understanding of how important and crucial it is to work with this. All right, so hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Running with Red S. Uh, Fortunately today, I'm with... Pippa Wolven and Rowan Priest, and thank you very much for coming on and we're going to talk about everything there is to do with running um how Red S has impacted all three of us how we want to raise awareness and yeah it's going to be quite an interesting call and I'm looking forward to talking to them so hello both of you hello <laughs> hello thanks so, for having us oh, I'm looking forward to this so hopefully well, well everyone knows what you've done you've created the whole Red S thing on Instagram and everyone's following it now. And it seems like it's going quite crazy. You did a little BBC sport and now like, what, what was it? Like a post last week or something, two weeks ago. Yeah, you never quite know when these things are going to come out. But I think it, I did a podcast a while ago with a couple of um, other women. And I'm always keen to like bring the guys into it because obviously it's not just a an female issue um so I was glad that they wrote that article as well to just sort of round it off but yeah it's really good for exposure isn't it oh 100 and I think as well someone I was speaking to um Dr John Rogers and or I think it was him and he said something about GPs have now brought out something about Red S and it's like the first time they actually have so I think it's well hopefully we're starting to raise more awareness about this whole situation which is looking yeah hopefully that's I think the GP thing is so important because they do a great job of you know treating life-threatening illnesses and things and obviously this is an athletic condition um, brought about through exercise but it still can be pretty serious and often your GP is your first port of call as an athlete and if they don't know what it is then it can just prolong the whole reaching a diagnosis thing which makes it really difficult yeah that's the most important thing so I think quite a few people who've been meshing me were saying about how they went to the GP and the doctor said they didn't even hear of this condition. You're just like, how how do you not know? It's like, we're trying to raise awareness. There's so many athletes who are struggling with it and it's just how we get through to them. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're getting there. Anyway, so do you two want to just give a general introduction about yourselves to let the listeners know? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm Rowan. I'm, I would say not quite an elite athlete, but I used to be, relatively decent at running um was good from quite a young age used to compete all the way through from under 13 all the way through up to seniors um 
had some good, you know, good performances on and off. Uh, ran a two twenty six marathon, which was for me my biggest achievement. Um, but obviously, all the while, sort of dealing with this this issue, sort of up and down, ongoing. You know, it would come in waves and sort of things and affect my life in different ways. Um, so obviously, behind the sort of performances I was able to do, there was obviously this sort of skeleton in the closet, which I kind of never fully addressed, if that makes sense, until kind of now-ish when I've almost had some sort of like repercussions I'd say um, from all the issues I did have and not addressing them earlier on to obviously being in the position I am now where you know I'm not able to run as much as I want to you know not competing and things like that so yeah I would say obviously you know most of my life has been involved with the running um, but in the last few years I've had to take more of a backseat approach given the issues I've had growing up and things like that so yeah because we've had a good chat recently about everything and you you said to me you were like the first like male athlete to talk about red s in 2018 and uh, how, how how did that come about how did you feel like um yeah so i, I think because obviously i first started having this issue kind of when i was around 13 years old and it was just starting off as something i just was thought it was more of a health kick and i think as i got older it started to turn into more and more of an issue and obviously people around me started to address it more of an issue as opposed to oh you're just trying to do this for your running sort of thing. Um, and it wasn't until I got to university where I properly realised how, I guess, different I was from a lot of the other people, how different my approaches to running were, my approaches to life, my nutrition, everything that was so different from... And you only had to look at me. I was just built so different comparatively to all the other people there because of my growth just wasn't the same. Um, so at that point, I obviously realised it was more of an issue than I thought. Um, and then I remember just... I think because because I was very good at hiding the issues I had, not a lot of people knew I struggled with it. Obviously, my close friends did. Um, but I remember just telling a couple of people and thinking, oh, this is quite liberating because, you know, it's something that's sort of affected me more and more. Um, and I think in 2018, that was the sort of time where my running sort of started to take a hit and I wasn't quite able to do what I wanted to do. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, this is more, you know, becoming a bit of a problem. Uh, it's affecting my life in other ways. My mental health was bad. I was suffering because I wasn't able to run and things like that so I thought you know it's probably time I told someone a little bit more about it um and that led me to I've always enjoyed writing um so I remember writing all the all the my thoughts down on a bit of paper I thought you know what I can I can get this out there really and sort of I guess it was almost like to tell my story it wasn't in, at first it wasn't like oh I need to tell everyone about this issue it was more I need to tell everyone what's happening to me because I feel quite sort of you know down about the whole situations and then obviously once uh it was fast running i think uh you know produced the article it kind of i remember getting a lot of feedback from it it was being shared a lot and i'm thinking oh actually this is quite a big deal because i guess because i'd had somewhat you know a fair amount of success people you know no one not everyone knew me but I, they kind of knew my name roughly so it was like oh he's done this and now he's produced this article you know there must be something to this um and then, yeah, as I was saying to you, obviously, after that, I kind of not went quiet, but I, I didn't. I think once I'd put my story out there, it was just like, you know, so, so he's just someone that's dealt with that. And obviously it wasn't until you obviously said said the issues you've had that I remember thinking, oh, there's, you know, someone else, you know, fairly prominent. that I'm thinking, you know, is starting to speak about it again. Yeah, I, met, I remember I read that um, article quite recently and it was like amazing to see because I feel like almost like whatever everything you went through I almost did like the same sort of thing and that's that's what made me like speak to Pippa and like really understand 
like that I was struggling with it. But it's it's the thing the thing I've like was speaking about was these youngsters going to you know on a Tuesday and Thursday night, you know, to like the track and stuff. Yes, they get told by their coaches of what to do. And this might be in your case, you get told what session you do, but there's no input about what to eat after, what to eat before, or anything like that. And I feel like like looking back at it, like I never had that or anything. And like in your position going to university and stuff, you might wanted just someone to like just say, okay, maybe have this. This is like the suitable thing to have after. Yeah. I think I think my main take home from all this is the education hasn't quite caught up with yeah. everything else that's going on. So the way I see it is, you know, 10, 20 years ago when when there wasn't all this other information out on social media where you're able to compare yourself all the time, there wasn't the necessity for all this education. But nowadays you can see what everyone else is up to. So how do you know what you're doing is right? You know what I mean? You need someone that's telling you to do that. And I don't think, I think without social media, I don't think there was that, I don't think there was such a need for it, if that makes sense. I just think nowadays that I feel like the ability to compare yourself is so, you know, it's so easy to do that I just think that other things haven't almost caught up with that. And I just think the education around something like this just needs to be, you know, massively sort of like thought about really. No, I understand that's a... Yeah, Ho- hopefully this, well, this could buy, be the start of like a little podcast. I've got like 134 followers, so hopefully it goes up enough. Yeah. But anyway, and we'll move on to Pippa. Do you want to explain, maybe summarise what, like when you first thought you had Red S and how it's impacted you and everything? Mm, yeah, well, similarly to Rowan, this is something that I kept quite quiet about for a long time. And uh, I think most of us do, you know, when you're, performing at a high level or any level and you don't want to stop performing at that level you're frightened of speaking out about it because you think someone might try and stop you um but yeah my entry into running was a little bit different in that I had a very balanced approach to nutrition and training when I was um, growing up which was a blessing really because when I look back and think about the repercussions of this condition on your bone density I was lucky enough to be protected from that by forming some solid bones whilst I was growing up so um, it was only when I went away to university um, to America that I started suffering and in terms of the initial symptoms it's they're very subtle as you guys know so at first you know it was something I could push through quite easily it would be like the odd cold that just took a little bit too long to shift or a little niggle that I'd never really had before Um, and then these things just kept recurring and you know I could just sense that something wasn't right Um, and over there I had started to think more about my nutrition about becoming the best athlete I could be and therefore look to my weight because you know basic physics dictates that lighter is faster to a certain extent and I just thought that that was the path to success in athletics Um, and I didn't really have the support system around me that I needed at that point I was thousands of miles away from home we did have a nutritionist as a team but you know they were just there to sort of make sure we were eating um not necessarily enough all the right things but yeah as I say it was subtle and I was still having three meals a day and snacks on top of that so I never for a second thought that this could be an energy related issue um and I was on the pill at the time which for a a female is pretty common um especially in sport when you think that it might improve your performance or just take away that inconvenient side of things um so it was just really easy to push through it um and it wasn't only until 
things started to really reach a point of serious fatigue that I had to stop and think, okay, there's something really wrong here. Um, and then, as I said at the beginning, you know, I went to the GP and they didn't know what the heck was this thing was and I didn't know what it was. And so it took quite a few years to even reach a diagnosis, by which point things had become quite serious. Um, the fatigue was quite chronic. I wasn't able to compete at that point. Um, similarly to you guys, it just reaches this breaking point where you can't go on. Um, and that was when I started to seek help for it. And um eventually found out what was wrong did you ever have but both of you have ever like a moment where it was almost I call it like too good to be true so like after because I just had this stress fracture in my foot and I went like four weeks was absolutely smashing cross training I was really fit my second track session I was hitting times which one as good as when I'm fit fit but I've never like the second track session my coach says to me he's like how have you managed that and I was like could this be because I'm really light like because it, it almost felt like it was too good to be true. Then a week later, I come out with a stress fracture in my back. Did you ever like get almost a sense like that during your yeah. time? I, I think that's the I think that's the main issue. You know, I, I remember when I first started having, not having issues, but more being more conscious about what I was eating. I remember getting quite light and I and the problem was I was running really fast. I was, I almost call, I, I used to call it like a honeymoon period. You get this period where like you're light but you're not too light and you almost like maybe start fueling a little bit and, and you fly, do you know what I mean? Cause you've lost all that weight. You fuel a little bit on top of that and you, and you just, and you fly. And I think, I think that's the problem is that so many people have that sort of period where, I mean, you see it time and time, you know, we watch enough athletics and enough running to see people that are going through those sorts of periods. And you almost think, you know, there's going to come a point for some of these people where they're going to have the issues that we've had, if that makes sense. And yeah. so I think that's why it's important to be at the other end, to be having the conversation, to almost give them a heads up, to be like, yeah, that's great. You're going to run really, really fast for a season, the two seasons, you know, however long it is. But when it comes to it, there is going to come to a point where you're going to get stress fractures. You're going to have issues that you can't control and things that are going to be outside your your control that can be very very hard to deal with and I think that's where it's very very important for people to you know like us to 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 tell them I suppose 100% so true <laughs> that's a perfect answer like you said it's like you get down so light and then you put ever like you add a snack in or something and it's like mm. one thing I found was for example I'm obsessed with ice cream the only time I had like this ice cream on a Sunday the best performance I did was on a Monday and Tuesday yeah. my body had that extra bit of fuel and then yeah. onwards, when I burnt it off, it's just like I had nothing almost. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's like such an important point to make as well, because when it comes to choosing to recover from this kind of thing, you have to try and reframe this mindset that that is the path to success. And, you know, because it worked for us once, it's all too easy to think that that's what will continue to work. And for me, that delayed my recovery for years and years because I just had it in my head that my best performances were when I was really underweight and that's really damaging. So when you were in America, did you have the girls who were running with, were they supporting you? Did they notice anything? Or did they almost have, do you think, similar, like they thought they were eating enough but had similar, like... <laughs> Yeah, I think this kind of thing is pretty contagious. You might have seen it within teams yourselves on training camps when people are like watching what other people are eating and what they're 
doing training wise. So I was living with other athletes who had the exact same issue, perhaps even more severe than mine was. Um, and so it was just really normalized and you never really thought that you were doing anything wrong. Like, in fact, I thought I was doing exactly what I needed to do to be the best athlete I could be. And this was just part of it. And as Rowan says, for a while, it feels incredible. You, you fly, you feel amazing. You have this like massive endorphins. You just feel like everything's going well and then all of a sudden it isn't um and it's really important to mention as joe did last week that you might not lose weight you know some people go through this without even having that weight loss which is arguably even harder to deal with because then they're like what the heck is wrong whereas at least you know we had that to mention to our doctors um but hormones don't always work that way especially for women so yeah it's not always as visible as it might have been for us um Oh yeah. So Rowan, next point I want to ask is after your fast running article, like it would have rose raised a lot of awareness for everyone. So people, athletes, even parents and everything like that. Was that the turning point in your career where you're like, Oh, I need to increase my food intake. Did you go and get some help? Did you tell your parents more about it? So what happened after that article came out? Um, well, I think by the time the article had come out, I kind of already knew I had quite quite a bit bit of an issue. Um, I was already aware of that. I think after that, I think that more just sort of cemented my sort of like not end of running, but I mean, I haven't raced since that sort of time. So I think by that point, I already accepted to myself, you know, it's going to be tough for me to to turn this around. So rather than trying to almost like, I was almost like, um, I don't know what the right phrase is. Uh, I was trying to really work as hard as I can to get back into it. I think by 2018, I almost accepted that I needed to address the issue as opposed to trying to fight it. I almost relaxed and thought, you know what, I'm going to have to address this if I'm ever going to get back into running. So I think by that point, it was almost like a turning point in in terms of my mind and the way I viewed running. I think up until 2018, I was, you know, I have to run this amount of miles per day. I have to eat this per day. But by the time 2018, 2019 came, it was almost, you know, oh, I don't have to run today because I, I won't be able to because I need to focus on this and getting myself better. Um, and obviously, once you've written an article like that, people are just aware. So the old things I used to be able to get away with, I wasn't able to get away with, you know, like there was some crazy stuff I used to do with food and sneaking out for runs and just things like that, that once you've told everyone what you're doing, that they, you know, they're supportive, but at the same time, they're always going to be questioning you as to, do you really need to go out for that run or do you really need, so it's almost like, it almost took a weight off my shoulders. So I think up until that point, obviously my parents knew and people like that, but you know, at university, I, I used to do crazy stuff at university that just people wouldn't have really thought about at the time. But if they look back now, they think it was a bit of a nutter really. You know what did I mean? You, did you ever get to a phase where you thought running was almost a chore? Like oh, you drag yourself yeah. out the door. You so get, much, really. so much, man. Yeah, like I think after, when I was competing, you know, it was great and I, I did it because I was competing, but there were times within that and also times after that where it was just about, I need to run 10 miles a day to stay this fit, this in shape. Do you know what I mean? It was just more of like a, I wasn't really enjoying it. I was seeing running as more just numbers and statistics as opposed to actually, I, you know, I was running by myself, not running with people, just like, it was just the whole, the whole part of it just became monotonous and a massive chore so yeah I, I did hate it for a while did you go into any other sports after that or was it just um 
well, I've always liked other sports, but when once I started to take my running more seriously, I started to focus on my food and drop my weight. Running was the only thing I was going to do because I was so obsessed with running that you know that that was it. And I think the good thing is I have a have been able to stay with involved within running. You know, I've got a lot of mates that run, so I'm still happy to go to the races. And I know other people when they stop running, they're not they don't want to do that sort of thing. But for me, you know, most of my friendships are built around running, so I'm still massively involved. So I've, I've Although there's that massive hole still, I still am able to fill it in terms of like, you know, supporting my friends and things like that. So it's not, it's not all bad. So I remember back in, I think it was 2018, you did Parliament Hill 10K. Do you reckon you'll be back out there supporting this year? I'll definitely be supporting. I mean, those sorts of events for me now, like I love going to, because I think with all these issues, because of the pressure, you know, yeah. if you're someone that's, if you're training really hard, and also not eating enough. You, there's so much pressure on yourself because you think I'm doing all my entire life is building up this race. I have to perform well. So for me now, it's good to be able to watch them and think I don't even need to worry because I'm not having to starve myself to warrant doing this. Do you know what I mean? It's like it is nice in a way to go and watch these races. We see a comeback soon, though. Maybe a few park. Maybe. Runs. I mean, obviously, I still love running, and I yes. I'm still lucky in the fact that I. I can get fit fairly quick and I can, you know, don't, that sort of thing is, I can still do it. It's just a case of doing it in the right way. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think you have the right mindset for it now. And like yeah. time and stuff, I think you could, you could throw, you could go back up to the marathon, you know? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So we'll move on. And Pippa, I wanted to ask you, going back to America, because that's where you said it almost started and that's where you noticed some things going on. How was the recovery journey? Did you have a lot of support out there? Did you have to come back to the UK? So I know a lot of people who have actually struggled in America actually cut uni short so they come back after half a year instead of staying for the whole year. Um, do you mm. have anything like that? or Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it was the opposite for me in that I was only supposed to be there for a year, ended up being there for two years. Um, and... <laughs> I think the one benefit of being over there was the free medical stuff. So that covered psych psychological support. Um, and in England, like therapy isn't really a very spoken about thing. You know, not many people have a therapist um, and over there it's really normalized. And so somehow I was like convinced to go along to this therapist um, because my PT, like my athletic trainer knew that I was struggling with eating by then and training and just finding it all a bit much. Um, so she persuaded me to go along and I was just so dismissive at first. Like I was still in massive denial about my problems. Um, didn't really think that I was going to benefit from it, but it ended up being such a turning point because just talking about this, you know, as, as you guys know, is so therapeutic and it was somebody outside of the like athletic setup. So I could be fully honest. I could just speak to this therapist like a normal person and not someone who was going to drop me from the team or, you know, change my scholarship. Um, and so I worked with her for about a year in the end, which was like, yeah, it was so what I needed. Um, but then when I came back to the UK and so suddenly found myself alone again um, and still suffering physically from the repercussions of the issue, it was difficult to find support um, and recover on my own because, as I say, like I couldn't find someone to help um, med medically wise. And 
so it was a kind of a convoluted recovery process and you know back then there wasn't really any information online there wasn't mentoring you know you couldn't just find someone else on Instagram who was struggling with the same problem um and so yeah it was tough but you know I made it eventually and at that point I was so determined to show that you could come back from it and if you wanted to you could return to a high level of sport and that was like my main motivation because a bit like Rowan I was starting to lose love for the sport I just wasn't sure I wanted to be in it anymore but eventually you know I came full circle and I just did it for fun again and that was what took me to the top so yeah I don't think I ever got the most out of myself and never really maximized my potential probably because of it but at least you know I was able to say you can recover. Um, did you ever feel like, because I, I mean, you would have had some injuries in the past and was it almost like you said, like in terms of turning point, you went and spoke to someone, but was it almost you had an injury at that point and you were like, or you went to say you went to see a doctor and they said you have this specific injury and you were like, oh, I need to change this. Was there like a light bulb moment or anything like that? Mm, well, I suppose... I was a bit atypical because I didn't have a stress fracture, which many of us get as the like first sign of red S. Um, mine was just fatigue. And that's kind of expected in, in high level training when you're doing lots of um, work. And so it was just like this buildup of what is, has crossed the line between being normally tired from training and just being so fatigued that I couldn't even function like day to day um so I think it was when it started impacting like my daily life as well as my training that I thought right this has got to change because it was a struggle to like even go to my classes or even to like stay awake all day um so yeah I think I also had glandular fever around that time um probably because my immunity was so low because I wasn't eating enough and I was underweight um so that just made it all a bit more complicated and I tried to blame it on that for a long time I thought you know this is my scapegoat here it's got to be glandular fever but there was much more to it than that and it was only once I took a deep dive into like the causes of the fatigue and the glandular fever and the low iron and everything <coughs> else that I figured it out you know yeah so like talking about like the low iron and everything did you do you ever when you were going through this did you ever like one of the th th symptoms I found was I became very pale in my face and my hands and stuff and my hands got so so cold and since this last four and a half weeks like up in my food and everything I've actually I'm actually quite like I think I've tanned a little bit I don't know how in the UK <laughs> or like the blood's flowing or like um I think I'm I could actually go if I could actually happily say if I went to a pub quiz I could probably answer two or three questions because my brain's actually functioning but did you ever notice like you got quite pale or like some people say their fingernails get a bit like mingy yeah. or anything like that? Yeah. I've, totally. I've always like tanned well. My mum's always said I tan well. And I remember when I was really ill, like photos of me, I'm just like a ghost, man. Like I'm just like, just horrible. And and now like, I don't want to brag, but I tan pretty well. <laughs> and I think since then I've started to really tan again, which has been a very, very like, it's been very good. It's interesting you said about like, your brain function and like being able to think and stuff like I always use this like scenario of being like present like 50% so when I used to have conversations with people when I was struggling 50% of me would be within the conversation and 50% of me would be worrying about what I'm having for dinner yeah. or like I just wouldn't have the brain function or the capacity to be able to think about you know anything like I spoke obviously before about you know not finishing my degree and things like that and a lot of that was down to the fact that I just couldn't concentrate you know and since sort of like sorting myself out a bit, I feel like I've completely regained my personality. My brain function is 
upped massively to to what it was like before I had these issues and I'm able to have you know good conversations with people and be present in the room and you know you know yeah like some of my mind and focus is still elsewhere but I definitely sort of I'm a lot more present within the conversations I'm having with people um, I think that's a massive part of it is that you just lose cognitive function so so much that it's just like it's impossible to have I, I was amazed that I was able to even form many relationships and friendships you know throughout union stuff because I wasn't there half the time really my my mind was elsewhere well you're doing pretty mm. well now that the fact you're a teacher so well I, yeah. working quite well now <laughs> going okay yeah it literally does impact like everything in your life though doesn't it it's when you read the scientific papers and they say it impacts every bodily system like I'm sure we can all name every single system that it affected and it's funny because when you're in it you're afraid of making the changes required to recover because you're worried about what you might lose you know you don't want to regress in terms of performance or you don't want to gain weight or whatever because you're afraid of not performing well um but god what you gain from like deciding to recover and choose another path is like incredible and it's it's really cool that this is something you can recover from and like rowan you're like thriving now which is amazing and i think that's such a good message to send to people who are struggling currently no it's great it's honestly great and uh, on top of that with like talking about like how we felt like we we're getting pale and you your brain wasn't working did you two ever get any blood tests done, like a university or a DEXA scan? Um, or did you just almost just try and speak to someone or just notice that you were losing quite a lot of weight? Um, I, I Go on, Pippa. I was just going to say, like, I think this is what, one of the challenges is that I had all the regular blood tests and the health checks for like a normal person and nothing was flagged. And it's because as athletes, you know, doing a lot of training and living the lifestyle that we have lived, you aren't a normal person. And so nothing, you know, sits within normal ranges. So when my iron was like six or something that wasn't deemed critically low, but for me, that was incredibly low. So yeah, I, I did have blood tests and nothing really showed up. So that was a real, like, again, a barrier to finding out what was wrong. Yeah. That, that, to be fair, that was similar to me, really. I mean, I never really had any adverse sort of like results or anything really. I mean, I think it was more just like a visible type thing. Like you could see comparatively to most people I was, I mean, I was so like, compared to what most of my peers were like so it, there was clearly an issue do you know what I mean just just based on the fact that I'd you know I was growing lad and I was losing weight which is just not what should be happening really and you know turning up to university you know being as light as I was it's like you know it was weird because yeah as you, as you say the blood tests were quite normal but I, I clearly wasn't normal my body clearly wasn't functioning as it should um yeah. so yeah I mean when I because I went to get blood testing done in Netherlands last year and my testosterone came back as four and the minimum level you had to be is above nine and I thought above eight and I pushed my body through such a bad phase after two weeks of just eating well and resting it got up to 9.6 another one this morning the first thing my parents said to me is you're now a man so they took the piss out of me a bit because yeah. it's funny <laughs> but it's the fact like we were saying I was speaking to Renee as well and she said the red S is only getting bigger in the UK, Australia, and America. The Europeans have no clue. Like the fact the doctors even let me train with those bloods, whatever, last year was like people going like really annoyed about because I was just pushing my body to the limit. Do you think we almost, how do you think we raise awareness further in European countries? Because whenever you go there, 
I spoke to people, Parvenin and everything, and they were like, we've heard nothing about this, all these European places, but it just seems a lot bigger in England and America. Um, mm. Well, they're, they're probably where we were 10 years ago, aren't they, in terms of like, I don't think this was a massive thing in the UK within England, you know, because even when I was 13, I, I was quite aware of things within running and things like that, and I'd never heard of, these issues my parents never really heard these issues within it and even my coach at the time didn't know a great deal about it and I think obviously I've grown up now and I'm aware more aware but I think we've moved on massively in terms of the awareness that's that's out there for this sort of issue so I think in terms of and I think the main thing that's come about that is just people sharing their stories I think we we can obviously all name quite a few people that we've we've seen that have spoken about it and I think Predominantly, that has been females, which is obviously why it's important for you, Jake, to be doing what you're doing, because I think in the position you're in as well, to be sharing a story like this is, is very, very good because, you know, there are so many, they're not so many, but there is a lot of females that have come out and spoken about this issue. But I think in terms of specifically within males, I think it's very, very important to be talking about it. Um, so I think it's only going to go from strength to strength. And you'd, and you'd imagine the more sort of you're seeing in this country, then hopefully it would sort of almost gravitate abroad a little bit within Europe. But as you say, like, it's obviously not a massive thing out there. But I, I, I mean, I'm not sure why that why that would be, but it's probably just to do with, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yes, I completely agree. Like, if you think about all the athletes who have spoken about it, they're either British or American. And um, I, I know that it's a problem that impacts, uh, obviously, other cultures too, and they have reached out to me in on Instagram and things and I really want to help them but I don't know of any resources over in Europe that I can kind of refer them to because yeah it's just not spoken about enough and I'm sure they exist but they're just much harder to source yeah um going back to in terms of like you know looking yourself trying to lose weight and everything do you think um when you were going through this bad phase you saw like for example you saw the Kenyans running on TV and you saw how lightweight they were do you think that had any effect to do with getting lighter in when you were younger? Yeah, de yeah. definitely. I think that's, for, for me anyway, that was the whole sort of like starting point. Do you know what I mean? Because when I was young, naive, you see everything on TV and you think, well, they're the best. So that's exactly how I need to be pretty much. And that was kind of like my my thought process behind doing what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, it was a subconscious type thing. I thought I was only eating healthier and things like that. But, you know, even just going back as far as PE lessons at school, you just, you just taught, you just taught these things, textbooks, they'll show Kenyan runners, won't they? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Skinny, skinny guys, like, but it's just not, you know, their makeup and their build is so different from what Europeans are probably going to look like that it's just, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just ridiculous to compare yourself to them. But obviously, I feel like from a young age, you know, you 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 take on a lot of what you're of what you're taught. So, at that time, I was like, yeah, like that. This is what I need to look like. Now that's incredible because mm. that's exactly why I thought is it's almost not worth like going to say you went to pee or something. It's not worth the teachers just constantly showing you photos of Kenyans and Ethiopians because, like you said, they when I went to Uganda, they're literally as you can imagine. You guys have been on training camps. They literally get up and they're just eating posho, ugali the whole time. They they don't yeah. have any meat, but they're used to it. Yeah. And yes, it's a very good carb substance, but 
they're just living such basic lives. They don't have any fried food or anything. So if we like live from a, when we were born, say if we were born and we didn't have any fried food, we would almost like be sort of like them. We'd be used to it more. Um, so it is a bit worrying to see. And I hope a lot of kids aren't like following, not falling for it almost. Yeah. But I just don't know how we stop that almost. Yeah. I think like having role models from other like body types and I think people are doing a much better job now of like representing different physiques in sport and like trying to step away from this whole skinny runner thing um because most of the people who are successful are successful because they've maintained their nutrition and their training really delicately over the course of a lifetime to get their peak fitness and it just so happens to be that a lot of the Kenyan runners are really light and a lot of British or American or European runners aren't. So I think we just need to talk about them a bit more. Did you guys ever have like a certain race weight or anything you wanted to hit for racing? So if it came to cross country season or a road race and you could have weighed yourself two days before and if you thought you were too heavy or something, slightly too heavy, almost restricted yourself or like like you just wanted to be a weight almost? Um. Well, I, well, when I was living at home before uni, I used to weigh myself every single morning, like religiously, like every single morning. And I'd adjust how much I ran and how what I ate accordingly to keep that weight. But once I left home and I was more sensitive around the topic, I refrained from weighing myself because I was although I was still struggling, I was I was quite aware of my issue. And I think that being at university, which wouldn't I just knew in my head that it just wouldn't have been good to be weighing myself at university. Um, so from that from that point on, I just didn't weigh myself because it just wouldn't have been conducive to having, I don't know, almost having some sort of like comfortable feelings that being, do you know what I mean, being away from home. I just think that, yeah. So I mean, since like 2015, I probably haven't weighed myself really. I, I wouldn't, like it just wouldn't be a thing I'd do really. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I've spoken to you, Pippa, about it. And it's like, you told me that it was the best piece of advice you've ever given me was the fact just almost throw your weighing scales away because it's not a determining weight of your like you have to take into consideration how much water you have in you the fat percentage the muscle mass so I think it that was a brilliant advice to give to me and I think people need to almost take that into um, consideration the fact you haven't weighed yourself properly since 2016 is is huge when people are weighing themselves twice a week yeah I think I think when you like I probably went three, four years of working out every single calorie I ate to the to the millimeters of milliliters of milk I put in my coffee to the marmite on my. Do you know what I mean? I had pages and pages of calories. I was so once you realise that that is a bad idea and you get rid of that whole thing, you want to stay as far away from. You know, I removed myself massively from all of that, so I would never do that again. So in terms of weighing myself you know, I've gone the opposite. I would just never do it. And like, I would just refrain. So it, just because I've just had that three, four years of just like obsession with myself, basically, yeah. that now I just wouldn't do it. And right. any of it, really, I wouldn't engage in any of it, really. That's amazing. I think that's what people want to hear. Because I've been getting, getting messages. I imagine you you two both have, um, when you've read more awareness, people asking, oh, are you weighing yourself what you should be eating? And the fact, you're probably both saying, don't weigh yourself. And yeah. Uh, they should almost put like a we should almost put our petition to like ban scale weighing scales or something <laughs> and like, uh, anyway um so Pippa, when, 
stop like there's more to life than just running and what did you ever when you were going through this did you like take a break from running for a period of time and say I just want to go away I just want to relax how did you take your mind off the whole running agenda Mm, yeah I did I kind of had to because like the fatigue was so bad it was just like infiltrating every aspect of my life and I think for me it was helped by the fact I moved away from the university environment um had to get a job like move on with my life I kind of put my running dreams aside and just tried to live like a normal person and when I got this job um I was working for the National Trust which was like a really lovely environment to work in and I didn't really tell anybody I was a runner um or had been a runner and that really helped me find like a new element of my identity and kind of put the running aside for a second and um it was actually just through working there and getting back into running for fun and like running around the grounds of the place I worked in that I did get back into it eventually but it took a long time to find the love for it again and I rejoined my running club because a bit like Rowan I had started training on my own like I was so obsessed with numbers I just wanted to like you know go out and do my session and be my own (laughs) athlete I'd like lost sight of the fact that it's nice to run with other people so yeah I did have to put it on on hold for a while and I think that was the best thing for me you know I don't think I'd ever have made a proper recovery if I'd kept trying and trying to to fight this without taking a you know some time out I think what's amazing to hear is I I was like you when you said previously you went through this you took some time out but you came strong back stronger on the other side so I've just got your power of 10 up here and it's like the fact you've gone to European cross the fact you went to world cross like after all these things you won imagine you won (laughs) the uh bucks cross country which is a huge honor it's a huge huge race and I think, can you just explain how much it meant to you going to these championships after everything you went through? Oh, so much. I can't, I can't even tell you at the time how good it felt to be there, but in a completely different way. Um, Because as I said, I had really strongly believed that the only way for me to get to that level was to eat what I'd eaten and train how I'd trained when I was light. And once I was really able to get my head around the fact that that wasn't the path to success and try this new approach of like just enjoying it and doing sport the way I did when I was like 16 um it was so refreshing to like see that pay off and it did take a long time you know as it does for anyone who's trying to make a breakthrough in sport in a healthy way it took it took months if not years um of just hard work and trying to stay balanced but it was an amazing feeling and yeah I just I hope that people see that there is another way to do this do you have a like a race in mind that like really stands out to you? Like you almost cried over the finish line or cried out after the race. You're like that happy. Mm, I think the Southern Cross Country um, at Parliament Hill, like it, it's my, my favourite course ever. And um, it just meant so much to like to win it and to have felt so good winning it. I just remember feeling like I could have gone forever and I hadn't had that feeling for a long, long time. And uh, yeah. And then when I went back to Liverpool and, you know, you got to try and make the top six and I just missed out on a place for the um, Europeans. I think it was a couple of years ago now. And I didn't mind missing out on the place at all. It was so weird. Like previously I'd have been so gutted to not have got that GB vest, but I knew that I had tried my best in a healthy way. And if that wasn't quite enough, then that was fine. You know, it was, it's not all about those vests or those times. It's just about doing what you want to do in, in the healthiest way possible. I still can't believe you've 
really enjoyed cross country. I I, I can't stand it. I don't, even even if I'm at my like healthiest fitest state, I would still hate that event. So, um, I think I think uh, uh, I think Liverpool's notorious for whatever shape you're in. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you can be hungover, you're doing that race or anything. You can you can have a broken leg, you will finish that race. But that's crazy. and I think. There's a lot of people like you see that was what I was quite scared of when I first got in contact with both of you, because you both really, really helped me in that respect where I thought it was I thought I was done. I thought there was no way to get back to this because there's actually a lot of guys um, who it's just like the recurring injuries. And the fact you both told me it's possible it, you can get healthy, you can get happy. I thought there was no like you were done, like you couldn't have a you almost couldn't have a happy life. I thought my life was done. I was 24 years old. I'm like, oh, I'm sacking this off. I'll just go to the pub every day or something. Uh, I thought it was I was done working Tesco's or something like that, like I used to. But it's really encouraging to hear both of you, like, really help me moving forward. Um, how about you, Brian? Do you have a race in mind? You were mentioning about the 226 marathon back in the day. Um, back in the day, yeah. I mean, my mates will probably grill me for this because it's the only thing I ever talk about. <laughs> it always seems to come up. So if they listen to this, they'll be dying because I've managed to squeeze it in somewhere. I mean, it's a race I've lived off for my last six years. So, um, no, I think to be fair, like that was a good year for me because my first year at university, I'd struggled. You know, I was racing poorly. My eating wasn't great and I was just not that happy. Um, But my second year at university was great because I, you know, I was socially very good. Like I was, I had good mates. I had really good mates, um, which I've always been thankful for. Um, I started to race well, I was eating a bit better and, you know, I was just, you know, that was probably one of the best years of my life purely just because of the people I had around me and the fact that my running was going quite well um, and obviously topped it off with, with running the marathon, which, you know, in terms of like now, you know, it's it's an okay time, but at that point it was just like, you know, this is great because I've done something that I can be proud of for the rest of my life. You know, it's not a world-beating time, but given the circumstance and the situation I've been in, I was quite pleased with it because, you know, I feel like it almost, you know, because of the four or five years that led up to it and how difficult my life had been leading up to that. I was like, you know what? I've actually done something off of my own back that no one can ever take away from me. And even now, you know, people joke, but at the same time, it's like, I I did that given, given the fact I almost started from a hundred meters behind everyone else because of the issues I'd had before. So I think for me that was quite significant. So that must have been like the race where you just crossed the line. You're like, like almost so excited but so happy at the same yeah, time. Yeah, well, I, I always say people that was the best day of my life just because I felt so good. I I just could have gone on for ages to be honest. Like it was just like perfect. Really, I just come back from Font Romeau as well, which had just been like a great training camp. I just loved it. Like just a great set of guys out there, and the whole five six week period was just like amazing. Really. That's me. The question is, what what shoes were you in for that race? Yeah, see, I was in like Streak L's, T's. Oh, so you were in the super shoes, so you could take off uh, 10 is... minutes from that time. So I always tell people I'm about a 2.15 marathon runner <laughs> bringing the super shoes. Um, yeah, no, this is old This is old money. This is old shoes. I I did a session in the street flies, and they're like similar to like the old shoes. How did you guys used to do it? It, it killed me. I could not walk for days after. I don't understand. It's like no cushioning. I don't understand how I you got to That was one of the advantages, another advantage of being so light is that you could wear any shoe. I could have wore Converse. I wouldn't have got injured. <laughs> don't, if you're listening, it's very light. Do not wear Converse. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're making us feel so old, Jake. We're not that yeah. old. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But like when I started getting into running a bit more, it was like I had the like this um zoom yeah, yeah, yeah. came out and everything. And I, just, <laughs> I have so much respect for you guys to wear those shoes. I just there's nothing to them. I, I just nah, they were light, weren't they? They had, they had no support, nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've still never worn a pair of super shoes. I'm quite excited to uh, see what happens. Oh, it's it's something else. Have you like... not? We could we should do a park run wearing them, just, you know, wearing if them. we never race again, yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have to get a pair. They, so I just got my sister something. The first thing she does is, what the hell are these? Like, she's never <laughs> right. um, you should get, have you heard, like, the Adidas, have, um, they brought out that, like, 50mm shoe. That's oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not. You're not allowed to wear them. Yeah, seen that. I would be Mad. like, foot and I'm five foot eight. I'd be. <laughs> I should be quite normal height. But um, yeah, that that's a that's incredible running a two twenty six in non carbon. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, next up, with your project, you brought up Project Red S on Instagram. How did that come about? And like we've spoken about why you like created it, but was it? Were you thinking about it for a couple of years or did you just almost in the moment just create it? Yeah, well, it was it was years in the making because I think like Rowan said, you share your story in public. You like, I don't know, talk to Athletics Weekly or whichever publication. And then you're kind of like, well, now what? You know, I it's all very well speaking about it. That definitely helps people. But I wanted to see like if we could do more to help people because you know, as I said, when I was suffering from it, there was nobody there. There was very few resources online. There was, you know, not very accessible information or like mentoring or anyone really I could talk to. Um, so I started mentoring through the BMC, which was a really cool opportunity. Um, like to think I may have helped a few people just by listening to them and suggesting resources that they go to. And then it was during lockdown, actually, that I was on furlough from work and I had a bit more time. And I thought, OK, I can either like totally just relax and not do anything or I could try and do something useful so I did and um I created the, this website well actually my husband who's a software engineer created the website which is quite helpful and I populated it with just the information that I had needed when I was struggling with this um and it kind of took off from there I, it seemed that there were a lot of people struggling and people were really grateful to just have a resource to go to um and then like people like Rowan were offering help and like it was overwhelming, actually, the number of people who said, can I contribute? Can I help? And um, then it sort of evolved from there. And now I've got a little team of um, people who are working on it part time or full time like me. And that's just really cool, quite cool. That's incredible. To me. And like I said, you've helped a ton of people because I, I could. <laughs> how many people have messaged me on Instagram saying how helpful you were to them and how much you've inspired them um, is crazy. Would you? It's like almost like, you know, going to these marathon events, it's like expos and stuff like that. Has any marathon out there or any race contacted you about going there and raising awareness? Mm, good question. They haven't. And that's definitely something I want to do because that's where you find like the mass audience, isn't it? And we know that this doesn't just impact the elite athletes, um, but everybody from your hobby joggers to your Olympians. So I'd love to do that. But it's I guess the biggest challenge with this project has been to get people in like the corporate world or sponsorship world on board. And, um, you know, getting any funding for it is really quite hard. So if you know of anyone, Jake, then let me know. 
I'll, I'll look out. I'm sure I'll look out. We, we'll definitely, is, we'll have to go to like a European, we could do like a little European tour. Germany or something. That'd be quite cool. You but... could do the running. Rowan will be there in his super shoes. <laughs> yeah. You're running 215 now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the quick, another question I want to ask was, with the company, oh, don't like mention any names or anything, but do you two know any like triathletes? Like I was speaking to like my parents and family about this. Triathletes must be struggling with this more than runners because they're constantly training. It's crazy the amount of stuff they're doing. And how how are they able to fuel themselves? Have you two like met triathletes who've suffered with fueling issues or anything like that? Oh, definitely. I think it's like rife in any endurance activity, especially running triathlon cycling where there's like an element of power to weight ratio. But I think triathletes do seem to get away with it for a little bit longer because of the cross training element. You know, they're not pounding the pavements day in, day out. And yes, they might train twice or three times a day, but often that's either a run, swim, bike, or just a run and bike and gym or whatever. So definitely the impact isn't there in the same way it is with running, but Oh God, they definitely suffer. And it, I think it's a really dark side of triathlon actually, which is quite sad, but it's like a relatively new sport, isn't it? Compared to running. So maybe like they're a bit behind in terms of awareness and stuff as well. Um, but there's loads of like effort from British triathlon to try to raise awareness, which is really good to see. Yeah. Um. Another question I had, do you two do anything? Did you ever monitor heart rate or anything during when you were training? Um. I I did monitor my resting heart rate just because I was like, mine was so low because I think partly because I wasn't eating anything and because I was quite fit. And I remember just like, you know, looking at during the night and just, because I was so obsessed with numbers. Do you know what I mean? I was so like statty and I just loved all the statistics. So I was just like, anywhere I could monitor anything, if it was my weight, my calories, my my heart rate, my, I don't know, I, I'd have monitored anything if I could. Do you know what I mean? My My sweat count. You name it, I probably would have done it. So, yeah, I did. For so I didn't really use it for a training thing because my training at that point, I was just running everything as hard as I could, mm-hmm. easy runs, fast as I could, sessions fast as I could. So there was no heart rate involved. It was just everything was max. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see a training week. You can do a YouTube video of the training week of Rowan. No, oh, it's hard as possible. It was ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah, because I, I remember like one thing I think you said to me before was um. When I was getting really bad, I generally couldn't get my max heart rate that high. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if you experienced that. Like, you just could not push or anything. Yeah, yeah. I um. So the, the main turning point for me is I went to Mansfield to do the cross-country relays. Oh, yeah. And, like, it was like a 3K leg. And I'd run, like, nine minutes, something the year before. And a year later, I couldn't run any. I ran, like, 12 minutes because I just couldn't run. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't get my heart rate up. I, I was so done, so drained, so fatigued, so just my body was just gone that I just couldn't, you know what I mean? I, I just couldn't go quicker than like an easy run pace just because I was done pretty much. Like, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. that It was quite scary because it's like you, I'm obsessed with numbers like on sharp, like my heart, I love this heart rate. Yeah. And when I got back, like I generally could not get it up, get my heart rate up or anything. And then when I started eating more, I was like, how the hell has this happened or anything? And I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. It was that like other people. No, it's, it's, I think it's just to do with the fact that your body just doesn't want to push anymore. So it's not going to allow you to go that hard, is it, once you're, when you're struggling? Um, the next point is, you know, like influence. Were there any influences in your life? I know 
when I was growing up, like we were mentioning about the Kenyans, they all look very skinny. And in some adverts, especially for women, there's a lot of, you know, models. They, they're all these what skinny girls and everything, but there's yeah. now initiatives like This Girl Can who are bringing out women of any size coming out. Do you think that is helping people, even buying clothes, like just general people, you don't even have to be a sports person, but helping people with their image. And before when these initiatives went out, do you reckon that impacted them badly in that way? Oh, totally. Yeah, like growing up as a a girl, you know, there is this, this expectation, especially in the sports world, that you should be light and lean and, you know, slim. And it's it's pretty toxic culturally that society across the world maintains um and like in some ways I'm really grateful that I didn't have social media you know I this is really going to show my age but I don't think I got Facebook till I was like 15 or something um and then obviously Instagram didn't come till later so I was really lucky that I didn't have that constant source of comparison but at the same time I think now you know the next generation are doing a really good job of like body positivity and bringing out positive role models and like joe is one of them you know last week she's she's so young but she's doing such a great job of like sharing this message that thinner isn't always you know better yeah um yeah we were because um i was gonna say sorry with in terms of awareness do you think because you said to me i remember speaking to pip and you said like i had almost the physical abilities of red s but mentally i had a eating disorder could you like expand on that what you meant by that for the listeners to be me or you <laughs> for, for uh yeah for me like what what you meant by that yeah well I mean with red s you can enter into this deficit via an eating disorder via disordered eating of any form or just simply unintentionally you know a lot of people just don't realize how much energy they're expending through their exercise on top of their daily biological functions so I think yours was definitely more a case of eating disorder because you know of the things that you were experiencing and the, the mental challenges you were facing um and physically it was manifesting as this you know whole red s picture with all of the symptoms you were suffering from um but yeah i mean it varies for everyone i think that's a really important point is that it's often associated with an eating disorder but it's not always and i think that's another barrier to people for talking about it is they don't want to be associated with an eating disorder because of the stigmas that society maintains especially for guys yeah that that's yeah that's incredible like like to hear like you and josie were both saying the exact same points and i'm just that's what we're trying to do we're trying to raise awareness get people to understand that like she said last week, you don't have to look underweight or you don't have to be underweight to suffer from this. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the most important point because people could be looking like a normal weight, but think they're doing fine, but actually they're not. And it's like, it's so mm. important to speak out. Yeah. In terms of experience as well, did you ever go through say Christmas time or did you ever not eat in front of family members or friends or like say when everyone's gone to bed, go back downstairs to grab something because you didn't want to eat in front of anyone? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's been a massive part of my struggles has been the sort of like social element of eating. Uh, I remember when I really struggled, I I had so many weird habits. You know, I'd eat things with teaspoons, you know, certain things I used to do that would just be so abnormal in like a normal normal environment. That I had to be very careful with how I did things. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd always eat certain, like I'd eat certain foods at certain times. So I was so regimented with, I'd have to eat this at 9pm and this at this time. And I'd eat the same things every single day so that, Around my family, it was okay, but I remember with my friends and stuff, it was a bit more of a problem. And I mean, even now, I struggle to eat in front of people. 
really? I struggle to yeah, yeah, it's a massive thing I have. Like I just really struggle with the the whole you know, for example, I work in a school now and for me eating in a staff room is quite an uncomfortable experience because I don't enjoy eating in front of other people unless I'm you know family or very very close friends I just find it very because I think because of when I had my issues I used to judge what everyone else was eating yeah yeah I now think that's being done to me so I really really hate it which it sounds like a weird thing but it just it's it's tough like and I, I would say that that's probably my main main issues I don't really like eating in front of people which is very hard in a way because 99% of the time you are eating in front of someone so it's just like you just got to deal with it really but yeah no, I hope you're doing all right about it. But that, like everyone's going to have those insecurities and I've been speaking to people. It doesn't just go away like that. It can't just yeah. go away like that. And the fact that like people need to understand that it will, you will still be suffering from some sort of the illness almost in years to come, but it's just how you deal with it. And the fact yeah. you come out from this in a much better way and you're like, you're happy to eat in front of your fa- uh, like some family members and everything, but it's yeah. not like, hopefully not like eating with like a teaspoon, like just trying to hide away or anything like that anymore. It's just the improvements you've made since then is incredible. Yeah. Um, Going back to talking about Instagram and raising awareness, do you, do you both think Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, like showing people the stigma attached to it? Do you think the social media content is, has helped in a more positive way or more negative way? Um. I have a massive thing against like, I, I think like what with Pippa's doing is amazing, but I think social media is so detrimental to like, I think it's the pretty much the entire catalyst in terms of like, you know, the growing number of issues, because I know for me, I use social media massively in terms of comparing myself to other people. And I just, you can just see it with a lot of other people, if that makes sense. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I think social, you know, it's you know things like youtube videos and people doing what i eat in a day and things like that it's like those things are great but unless they're done in such a specific way there's gonna be some kid out there watching your video and thinking oh my god they eat so little maybe i should eat this do you know what i mean it's like although i think people are trying to be helpful a lot of the time i just don't think it's needed if that Mm -hmm. makes sense i think that's where social media can be quite bad because people are thinking they're putting the right information out there but they're not and i think especially if you're one of these people with a large amount of followers and things like that i think you have to be so careful do you know what i mean because especially within running a lot of your a lot of runners followers are going to be other runners and young kids and things like that and i just think if you're someone with a big following i just think you have to be so careful with it personally oh 100 i mean maybe don't go onto my youtube and look at me trying to attempt the ten thousand calorie challenge that's all right. <laughs> there's a time and a place for all that sort of thing of course but i just think it needs to be done in like a certain way do you know what i mean yes oh no 100 and that that's why i wanted to get across it's like I'm like, because as soon as I stopped training, I deleted Strava because I was constantly on that. Like, I was like, I have to get off it. And I just, just move. <laughs> mentally, it's the best thing. Um, and one th- one more question for the both of you. Pippa first, I really, really want to ask, because everyone knows how well you're doing, but I want to ask about Denmark, World Cross Country. How hard was that course? Oh, my God. I mean... Yeah. I can't even describe how hard that was. It was not only 10K for women, which is like a pretty big jump from your usual kind of Liverpool racing distance, but it was so brutally hilly. And then for like fun, they added in like sand pits and mud pits and random like twists and turns. It was was more like an 
a bike, you know, like an off-road bike racing course. Um, but it was a lot of fun. So, you know, I didn't regret doing it, but it definitely destroyed me for quite a while afterwards. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you so much for both of you coming on this podcast and i'm pretty sure everyone well i'll write down below on this spotify link how they can follow you and everything if they can ask you questions i'm sure you both will help out in every way um now we need to say to nike if we can get both of you some size some shoes (laughs) you just want to say what size you are if you're listening out there Size nine, size nine, sort me out. <laughs> Embarrassingly, I'm also a size nine. <laughs> I'm much taller we'll than Bowen. We'll share shoes. <laughs> yeah, just one for the both of us will be fine. <laughs> and we'll hopefully see you smash our park runs run. You need to get that. You could run a 215 without even training. With the 100%. Shoes. <laughs> Watch the space. You've said it now, Rowan. There's no going back. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, it's been lovely talking to you. And I think... The way this is going forward, the fact GPs have brought it out now, the fact it's even going on BBC Sport. Now we just, I think we just, we get like in a big marathon, like a London marathon or something, like into an expo um, and just expand it further. I think this could be become really big. And I think you two can both say you, do, you just don't want to see younger kids going through what we did almost. Yeah. So that's the main point. But yeah, so much for both of you um, taking your time out to talk about this. No worries. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.